Thank you. Just destroyed it, please. It's all right. Good morning. I hope you've had a week walking with Jesus. That was awesome. Thanks, Richie. So today we are starting a new series, and it's going to look at some of those well-known names in the Bible. So we're going to start with, um, with Abraham today, and then we're going to look at Isaac and Jacob, and then Joseph, and then we're going to go to Judah. I think we're skipping to Samuel. And we're going all over the place, but the names you know. And um, hopefully we end up at Jesus at Christmas time, I think is our aim. So <laughs> I think they might line up all right. So I'm going to give you one story from Abraham's life today, and then we're going to explore that. And then as we close, I want to do something with you that's been done for thousands of years in the Christian church. It's an experience that um, has been done for many, many years, and I thought at an intergenerational service, it was a perfect time to reintroduce some things that are very, very old, but are very, very valuable to the Christian life. So today I'm reading from Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to them, Abraham, here I am. He said, Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at the distance, in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I go up, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but... Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide. Sorry, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together and they reached the place where God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out a hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram. Caught by its horns, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. I might stop there. You've heard this story before, haven't you? And you probably think, what's Nat going to say today that I've never heard before? Which is a danger we have. And maybe that's true, I don't know. I don't know how much you've read this story. But we can fall into the trap of only seeing what we've already seen. And in this one, we probably read the story, I know what's going to happen next, we're waiting. (laughs) We're, We're waiting for that next bit and we're not listening to the bits that are being read in between. We're just waiting for our next signpost of where this story is going. 
I want to illustrate this, if technology works, with an experiment that we don't see as much as we think we see. Hopefully this makes sense and hopefully our technology works. It's looking good. Okay, lounge room. That's my lounge room TV just there. Well, that's what my, my phone thinks. Now, there won't be any sound, but what we're going to show you on this video, there are going to be two groups of people, one dressed in white and one dressed in black, and they're going to be passing a, a basketball to each other. What I want you to do is count the amount of times the white-shirted people pass the ball to each other. Only the white team. Don't count the black team's shirts. Oh, hang on. We tested this so many times this morning, and we've got it working, and then it's loading, and I've got to go back a few seconds now, though. Oh, the beach ball of death. This video is in a format that can't be streamed. I streamed it this morning. Literally just streamed you up there this morning. Is it that cable again? Okay. So count the, count the ball that's being passed by the white team. And you've got to see how many times you get counted. Watch very carefully. they go behind each other a few times. I think sometimes they even do a couple of fake passes. Keep counting because uh, you can miss a couple. Right to the end. So how many, how many people, how many people counted 22? 23? 24? Anyone with 25? Did, did anyone uh, come back? Are you going to go away? Oh, no, I need him again. We're going we're gonna to watch the same footage again in a moment. Did anyone see anything else? Yeah, if, you have, if you've seen this before and today was your, not your first time watching it, <laughs> did anybody who only watched it for the first time today see anything else? What did you see, Paul? There's four. There's another person came in. Any more information about that? You reckon you saw someone in a gorilla suit? I don't know. I think you guys. Did, did everyone see a gorilla suit person? So, I've, I've taken the sound off this because it was easier. Here we go. This is Adam talking to someone about that very same thing. You reckon you saw a gorilla? So they're, they're the people that didn't see the gorilla <laughs> walking across the screen. But this guy's adamant that he saw a gorilla walk across the screen. So this is the footage again. Same footage. Counting the number of passes. And there's no gorilla. Until the gorilla walks right in the middle of the screen. <laughs> and even pounds his chest. <laughs> okay, cool. So, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and the same thing when we come to the, the story of Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. And many of you think you're doing the right thing by knowing the story of Abraham. And there might be something in the story of Abraham that's much like a gorilla that comes right in the middle of the story. <laughs> and you've missed it because you're looking for your signposts. So... I don't know. I hope today you do now because otherwise that's a real big build-up for not very much. <laughs> the risk is there. Okay. Oh. But does this story jolt you? When you read this story, does it jolt you that God says to somebody, take your son and sacrifice them? If it doesn't jolt you, I will pray for you. Because that is a massive thing that God has asked Abraham to do. And we're probably all asking the question, why did Abraham ask, uh, God ask Abraham to do such a thing? It should jolt us to ask the question, what is going on here? And so I want to explore that today. So over the last seven weeks, on Sunday nights, we've spent time looking at how the Bible tells a story of God redeeming humanity. And we discovered a few things about the Bible that help us when we read the hard parts. And we talked, to them, we talked about them being like a blue parakeet because a man gave us an illustration of a blue parakeet came in his, into his garden and it completely upset all of the other birds in his garden. And so sometimes we read the Bible and we go, yep, everything's going well. I, can, I understand the Bible really well. And then we read a part of the Bible and we go, oh, hang on. <laughs> How do I make sense of that? So there's parts of the Bible that we should when we get across them and they, they jolt us, we should stop and go, I need to explore and wrestle with this. The Bible is very old. We're reading an ancient text. It was written in a different language, which is a part of a foreign culture with its own ways of writing. And the way, ways of using language. And when you pick up the Bible and read a section, you need to know where you are in, in this story of the redemptive history. So... Abraham doesn't know all the stuff that we know about God. And it's an important thing to, to recognise. We need to try and shed, for the moment, everything we understand about God so we can understand what Abraham is thinking. Abraham enters the story... Very early on, I think you said he's the father of our faith. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's pretty early on. There's a couple of names that happened before him, but not many. He's been called out of his home and told to just go to a land I'll show you. And as in that story I read this morning, he goes, sure, and gets up and leaves. Isn't that how we all respond to God when he tells us to do something? But the story so far has been building you probably know many of the parts. He'd received a promise of a son. He tries to take things into his own hands a couple of times, saying his wife's his sister, um, taking his um, wife's maid a servant to achieve this promise. And things got messy, often because Abraham tried to take things into his own hands. And God reiterates the promise of being a great nation that he'll be blessed so that he will be a blessing to others and that one day, one of his descendants will be a, through one of his descendants, he'll be a blessing to all nations. You know all these points. This is the story building up to where we are. 
And in this part, God, uh, Abraham is already experiencing God's blessing. So God has started to, to um, fulfill this promise. Abraham has gained wealth. He's starting to gain more people around him, more of his family. And then God says to him, Take your son, the one whom you love, and sacrifice him. I think we need to understand that this is not Abraham's first encounter with God. Because if this was Abraham's first encounter with God, I could imagine his response would be, no thank you. But Abraham had seen God deliver on his promises before. He had told him that he would continue the covenant through Isaac. So God's already said that he'll continue the covenant through the son he's about to sacrifice. He had told him that he would deliver them through many tough times and situations. And God had even stepped in and helped Abraham when Abraham had made a mess of things himself. At one point, it was Abraham who, who had questioned God regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, saying, Will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? Abraham's understanding of God was that he was a just God. Abraham had seen God's goodness in actions many, many times. And because of this, it's very likely that Abraham didn't think that Isaac would die. Or if he did, that God could raise him back from the dead. There's a clue in Genesis 22, 5 that says, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham said, we will come back to you. So it seems to imply that he, at least, <laughs> at that point, believed that Isaac would come back with him. And when Isaac questions Abraham about where the lamb for the sacrifice would come from, he tells him, God will provide for himself of the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walk on together, and Abraham appears prepared himself to do what God has asked but he expected something else to happen. He was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, but he expected something else to happen. And the author of Hebrews gives us some insight in this, saying that Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. But there's also something else going on here. There are subtle hints that this, what's happening is not all... The, all goodness me. There are subtle hints that things are not what they seem. God asking Abraham to sacrifice the promised son goes against everything that Abraham knew about God at this point. And we, the reader, should be prompted to ask the question, what's going on? One of the things God does throughout the Old Testament is to get his prophets and his spokespeople to act out events that are to come. So, for example, one day I might do Hosea with you. Hosea was asked to marry a woman, a promiscuous woman. Ezekiel was told to lie down on his side for over a year. These acts are less strange when we read them in the light of understanding that God is getting his person, his chosen person, to do something as an illustration for something else. So we start asking God, why did Hosea have to marry a promiscuous woman? Because in Hosea, God says... You, my people, 
are being like prostitutes. <laughs> and in, in terms of Ezekiel laying on his side, it was a prediction of the, the siege of Jerusalem that was to come. So what was Abraham and Isaac's story pointing to if it was indeed one of these things where God was getting Abraham to, to act out something? Is there another long-awaited son born of miraculous circumstances? Another son who would carry the wood that is to be the instrument of his death on his back? Another son who willingly goes towards his own death? Let's not pretend that Isaac could not have got away from Abraham at this stage. <laughs> it says some years later, Isaac was old enough to say, no. And is there another son who becomes a sub substitutional sacrifice? God provides a substitute for Abraham and Isaac, the ram or a male lamb. God provides a substitute for humanity with the Lamb of God. This incident right at the beginning of God's redemptive story foreshadows Christ's death on the cross as our substitute and our ransom. It's not God the Father sending Jesus to the cross. Jesus being God incarnate goes to the cross willingly knowing that this was the way humanity could be reconciled to himself. Abraham was promised that all the nations would be blessed through you, right back in Genesis 12. And here, ten pages or so later in the Bible, we get a glimpse of what that is going to look like. Like Jesus, like, just like God spares Isaac, sorry, just like God spares Isaac on the cross, God spares humanity. Through the work on the cross, God provides a sacrifice that sets humanity free from its sins, guilt and power. And then Paul in Romans 8. You can turn to Romans 8 because I tried to find a way to summarise this and my summary of Romans 8 goes for just over one page. <laughs> so I'm going to read a summary of Romans 8 and see if you pick up some of these things. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation that is not to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by, the spirit you put the, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now if we are children, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What then shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? <laughs> Sorry. That was awesome. Evie's just going. <laughs> I love it. So I want to do something this morning that is different for us in this part of history. If we lived a few hundred years ago, not so different. So as Richie and the team come back up, I want to share with something I've, I've found. My role here is um, Associate Pastor for Spiritual Formation. And so I've been exploring different ways of corporate worship. So recently I've explored a couple of podcasts and this man did this with, with me and I've done it twice this week and I feel calmer even just after having done it. So bear with me and see how we go. I want you to think, what is a misdeed of the body that God is asking you to put to death this morning? In what area of your life is God asking you to give something up that is not helpful for your spiritual growth. For Abraham, it was possibly his reliance on himself that God wanted him to give up. We know that Abraham had tried to take things into his own hands more than one occasion. And God wanted him to give up his self-reliant ways. It's a possibility. Maybe God had something else with Abraham and Abraham knew exactly why Isaac represented that. What is the misdeed of the flesh that God has been talking with you about? What if it's your good standing, your reputation at work? Is there, a, is there a relationship that you've had or are in that's not healthy for your spiritual health? Is there something in your life that has already died but you're holding on so tight to it because you don't want to let it go? Later in the Later in Romans, Paul says that we also offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And that's what I want us to do this morning. So this experience is based around the death, the resurrection, the 40 days of testing after the resurrection, Jesus' ascension, and then Pentecost, the coming of new life. And there's five sections. So as you begin, so here we go. Become aware of your surroundings. Put both feet on the ground if you can. You might want to close your eyes. Notice your breathing. Lungs filling with air and then emptying. Recognize that you are joining in something that Christians have done for possibly thousands of years. This is an ancient practice. And let's begin by asking God to lead this process, to guide every word, every thought, and every emotion. God, we trust you to lead us. Please speak. Guide your servants. We are listening. And as Abraham responded to your call this morning, here I am. What is the the loss or death that you feel drawn to focus on today? Most of us have a number of them at any given time, but which one feels most alive to you today? Maybe it happened a long time ago and you've kept it locked away. Or maybe you've been keeping something on life support well beyond its day. And it's time to let go.
What's the death you're willing to hold in God's presence today? And be as specific as possible. Tell God about it. Not just about how it died, but how you feel about its loss. There's no need to pretend to hold anything back. Let us name the full reality of this death to our Creator. just named your death and yet you are not dead you are very much alive by God's grace the business might be put might be dead but you can still work the relationship has ended but you are not alone the wound cuts you deep but your heart keeps beating new life is real resurrection It's possible through Christ. Christ did not stay dead and neither will we. All shall be well. You may not feel this right now and it's okay. I simply ask you to notice one part of your life that reminds you that you are alive right now. What reminds you that hope is real and death will not have the last word? next section I just want you to grieve what you have lost and adjust to new reality I want you to use your imagination to allow God to speak through your imagination what might it look like to mourn this death fully and live according to that new reality what part of that grieving work would you need to happen alone What part would need to include others? Who might you invite into the process of grieving? What would you need to say or to do? What would you need to stop saying or stop doing? to take a short moment in God's presence to imagine what it might feel like to live into this new life on the other side of loss to try and be as specific as possible for example you might imagine that you're sitting at a coffee shop and you know who walks in what do you say to them in this new place of grieving the old and receiving new life. What do you say to them? Let the Spirit guide you as you imagine new paths and new possibilities.
Do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you its blessing. This may be the ultimate challenge for our heart and imagination, to picture a moment in which we stop clinging to the past and let go. In fact, in fact, let's ask our bodies to help us on this one. Take your fists and hold them tight. Feel the tension in your fingers and your hands. Feel the tension in your forearms and maybe your shoulders. In what ways does this remind you of the weight you've been carrying? The tension of clinging to what has already died. The way it exhausts everything. Now release your hands and take a moment to look at your palms. Imagine what is possible with open, empty hands. Feel the tension in your shoulders release, even slightly. Let the tension of white-knuckling the past slide down your body and onto the floor. Don't catch it. Don't cling to it. Take a few moments to keep looking at your open hands and imagine just for a moment that the heavy weight they have been carrying is gone. And all that is left is blessing. All that is left is a gift. What is that gift? And finally... Expect, accept the spirit of the life that you are now in fact living. Finally, open your hands in a posture of total openness to God. Maybe that's raised hands. Maybe that's hands over your heart. Maybe it's just open hands on your lap. Whatever it is that helps you say to God, I am as completely open as I know how to be. And, I, and God, I receive with joy everything you have to give me. New life, new hope, and a new spirit for life that I'm already living. In this posture of openness, let us humbly receive from our Creator. And let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.